Hi, I'm Lucas Mack. I'm a former TV reporter, a published author, TEDx speaker, musician, advertising agency owner, and management consultant. I'm also a former Christian preacher who dedicated 15 years of my life searching for truth and love. I've done a lot of work to heal, and I'm on a mission to see the hurting get healed and the healed go out and heal others in order for all of us to experience the true love and light we desire. This podcast is me sharing my journey with you so you don't feel alone in your journey. Welcome to the Golden Rule Revolution. Hi everyone, I'm Lucas Mack and welcome back to another episode of the Golden Rule Revolution. I am so honored to have you join Today's episode, I'm going to teach a little bit. I've been asked by a few people who've been listening to talk more about religion, the different paths, and I want to specifically focus on Christianity um, today and what even Christianity means. Now, earlier this year, I did a podcast, Why I Left Christianity to Find the Love of God. And... I'm asking you to listen to this episode with an open heart. I'm not attacking anyone, nor is this intended to make anyone wrong. We're all on this journey. We're all on this path. But if you found this episode today specifically, then you have been brought to this very specific content. Now, There's a verse in Psalms and Proverbs that says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's rhetorical because the answer is nothing. You can't do anything. If you do, if you destroy the foundation, that which we've stood upon for so long, then you are standing on sand, quicksand, and you cannot stand firm. So foundations are incredibly important. It's important to know where we've come from. It's important to know what the actual written word says. And it's important to know who is trying to subvert the word. The word of God, the word of man, the word of whatever. Words are what create reality. That's why the United States of America is such a beautiful experiment. This constitutional republic that we live in in the United States is an example to everyone around the world that the Constitution is the foundation that has enabled this country to be what it has become. However, there are those who hate the Constitution. It was Woodrow Wilson, the globalist president who started the League of Nations, the New World Order beginning in the early 1900s in the United States, who called the Constitution a living document. Because if you could except that it was a living document, then you could change it to be relevant to today. But that's not how documents work. That's not how written word works. I've, um, 
I've had amazing conversations with some very powerful people in this world about Bibles and religion. And, and I battled a lot of people back in the day and there are more than 400 I was going to say 500, but I, I don't remember if it's over 500 now, but I know for sure there are over 400 Bible versions in the English language. Just think of that for a second. There's not 400, uh, Bogdav, uh, there's not 400 um, Korans. There's not 400 Jewish Torah Hebrew Bibles. There's not more than 400 um, any other spiritual text. Um the Bhagavad Gita. Sorry, I was struggled saying that, but there's not 400 texts. There's no 400 versions of the I Ching. There's not 400 versions of, of all these other, of any great mystic. There's not 400 versions of their written word, but there are 400 versions of the Bible in English. This is relevant to you and I. Even look, this is not a pro Christianity in any way, shape, or form, nor is it a pro religion. It is actually to leave religion, but to also share with you how the subversion has worked over time. Remember, all roads lead to Rome, and Rome is the last kingdom before the age of the Mashiach in Daniel's prophecy. Now, I want to define some terms because I think these words matter. So, Again, I'm asking you to listen with love. I am speaking in love. I am not trying to make anyone wrong. We are all on our journey. I'm just giving information for you to listen, chew, digest, go study on your own. But the word Christ is the Greek word. It's based off the Greek word Christos, which is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Mashiach or Messiah. And so what is a Messiah or the Messiah? Messiah means deliverer, one that brings freedom, liberation, sovereignty. The Messiah brings liberation and freedom. That's why it says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. It's because where God's presence dwells, now God is love and light. The book of John, 1 John 1, 2, and 3, and the gospel of John, it are the texts of based off the law of one in the Bible. And it says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. 1 John 1, 7, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And those that walk in the light, as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all righteousness. The word blood can be off-putting, and I'll explain that here in a bit. But God is light and God is love. And the light that God is, is not electricity. It's not lumens. It's not LED lights. It's not plugged to a switch. God is fire. He is a consuming fire and he consumes anything we give him and he emits love and light. And why God, the infinite one creator is being presented in the masculine form of he is because masculine energy gives feminine energy receives. Now those are primary actions, but 
in giving, we receive, and in receiving, we give. So they are in unison. This is one. So the earth receives and gives, and God gives and receives. So God in the term of energy is masculine. Jesus said, God is not a man. God is a spirit. And those that worship him, being worship the spirit, must worship him, the spirit, in God is not a spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in um wait. <laughs> God is not a man, God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. <laughs> okay. So in spirit and in truth. All this stuff's off the top of my head. So <laughs> you gotta bear with me. In spirit and in truth. So to worship God, we worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, God is truth because love is synonymous with truth. They cannot be separated. So love allows truth to come forth, resulting in our freedom. I've talked about this many times. This is the model, the equation for all of our our deliverance. Where love is present, truth will come forth. We feel safe enough to admit the truth, to tell those dirty secrets all the things we've been carrying, the shame, the violations that have taken place, those, all the beatings, the rapings, the molestings, all the terrible things that this world has brought to us. When we're in the place of love, we feel safe enough to bring this out. We can speak our truth. We can breathe deeply. We receive freedom. This is how it works. So Jesus says, God is not a spirit. God, it, uh, God is not a man. God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, Many people think I must be in spirit and in truth, but that's not what it says. It must, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. So if you look at John 1, 7, 1 John 1, 7 says, God is light and in him, there's no darkness at all. And those that walk in the light as he is in the light. Oh, okay. So we go in and walk in the light of God. We walk in the love of God. We walk in the presence of God. That's how we were created. The human species is the most unique species on the, not only on the planet, obviously, but in the entire universe, all the Federation of light and all the different species and beings in of every dimension watches what we do on this planet because, because we are made in the image of love and light. When we wake up to the sovereignty of being in love and light and we emit that forth, in the darkness that we've been born into, we radiate so brightly. And this is what gives God glory. God gets glory when you awaken to that you are love and light. However, we can only get to the place of emitting and being and living and walking in love and light when we first go in to the presence of God, which is in a space of unconditional love where we feel safe enough to share our truth and we can be free. So getting back to Christ and Messiah, Messiah means deliverer, freedom, one who brings freedom. Jesus is a misnomer. The word, the name Jesus is a misnomer because they even found in the Dead Sea Scrolls that his name was Joshua in English or Yeshua. Now, Yeshua is the Hebrew word for Joshua. It's not the Hebrew word for Jesus. 
it's hard to find, but the word Jesus is actually a word means hail Zeus. And this is where Rome has mixed all these different doctrines, all these different narratives, all these different, um, they've corrupted the text. Now, that being said, God knows when you say Jesus, if those that worship and love Jesus, when you say Jesus, God knows who you're talking about. But just, I want to be clear, the name Jesus means Hail Zeus, Jesus. Yeshua or Yehoshua is the Hebrew word for Joshua. Joshua means salvation. So Yeshua HaMashiach or the Messiah Jesus quote unquote, Christ Jesus means freedom in salvation. The question is though, what does salvation mean? What does salvation mean? If you're listening, wherever you're listening right now, I want you to think, what what does salvation mean? You're probably answering means being saved from, but we can't answer a word with a different variation of the same word. What salvation means is to be in the very presence, the very existence, the very atmosphere, the very dwelling of love. What salvation is, is to be in the presence of love. Unconditional love, which is the only form of love. Conditional love is a misnomer. There is no such thing as conditional love. Neither is there anything such thing as unconditional love. Both are misnomers. Both are um, judgments we placed on it, but love is always unconditional. So when you're in the presence of love unconditionally and infinitely dwelling in that place, that is salvation. That is, that is free. You're free from all accusations, judgment, shame, past, present, future. You, you cease to have ego. You are in place of love and you are safe and you are secure and you are free. So Yeshua meaning salvation, Messiah meaning deliverer, salvation means to be in love, deliverer means to bring freedom. So in love brings freedom. Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus Christ. That's what it means. It's it's very simple. It's incredibly simple. But when Rome gets involved, Rome complicates it all, taxes it all, twists it all, invariably subverts it all because Rome must be the source of your gnosis. Rome must be the source of your freedom. Rome can tell you if you're free or not. And we are in the age right now where we are declaring Rome no more. Rome no more. Your priestcraft, your lies, your confessional boxes, your gossip, your subversive intel tactics, no more. Your secret societies, no more. Your deep state cabal, no more. This is the end of their reign. 
If you see Godfather 3, you see that even Michael and the Corleone family, as powerful as they got on the globe, they were not as powerful of a mafia as the Vatican Bank. However, these systems, these old systems, these old bloodlines and, and subversive, uh, these old Romeo and Juliet family ways, this is sickness, this, it's going away in love and in freedom. So I think where I want to go right now is I've talked about there's all these different Bible versions, but why? Why are there different Bible versions? It's because if I can change your words, I can change what you create because our words create our existence. That's why God spoke and it was. And we are co-creating with the Most High, the Creator, because he gave us the gift of uttering words to create in this world. That's why media, that's why you've got to get out of the frequency of media because they are creating a world, a matrix world, a facade world, a fear-based, slave-based world. And when you pull out of that, you're like, whoa, hey, disgusting. I don't want any part of that. It's a low vibration. It's a low energy. It's only about judgment of them and those and Republicans and Democrats and Trump and Trump supporters and they're racist and they're <laughs> shut up. Stand in love, be the change. Now, when you pull out of that frequency of words that create a reality, which actually impact your physical being, how you feel about your reality is determined by the words spoken. So think about the words that you speak and the reality that you create. So God created, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. That is Genesis 1, 1 through four, one, one through one, four. If he saw something that is good, AKA the light, what's the opposite of good, bad. So darkness that existed on the earth had had its time of rain and something got reintroduced light. And God is very specifically dividing light from darkness, which is the 3D world. Hello, we are leaving this 3D world, moving into the 5D world of love and light, where there are no more judgments. But the very first, the second verse in Genesis is teaching the genetic code must be exposed and revealed in the polarity, in the duality, in the light, dark, good, bad, life, death. And God said, let, 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 which means allow. So he was speaking to someone, something, some form, some being who dwelled upon this earth and the earth's structure with a power that was ruling on this plane, but had to submit to the highest authority to allow there to be light. So 
our words bring forth our reality. That's why if I can change the words that you say and think and utter, I can actually change your reality. Which takes us to the very first conversation between God and, or actually, yeah, well, between God and man in the Bible, but actually before it comes to God and man, the recorded conversation, it says, so Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, all new Bible versions say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which is wrong. I may or may not go through it right now, but it's not accurate because God separates the heavens in Genesis chapter one, where there's three heavens. Earth is heaven, the firmament and the sky is heaven and the heaven where God dwells. Why? If you actually put it down on this plane, if you put it on a, a horizontal plane, that is the tabernacle of the congregation that God later explains how to come before God with Moses is he creates the holies of holies where God dwells. He creates the holies where all the priests could go, but only the high priest could go in the holies of holies. And then the outer courts where all the rest of us hung out. If you put that up, those are the three tiers of heaven. Now this matters. But I'll get into that later. But heaven is separated in Genesis chapter 1 intentionally. So if you have a Bible that says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then you don't understand what is actually taking place. But in Genesis 1-1, it says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And Genesis 2-1 says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. Now Genesis 3-1 says, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the garden which the Lord God had made. Now, as I'm sharing these things, I don't assume you know what I believe about all these things. Don't, um, and you actually assume whatever you want. It doesn't matter. But uh, just because I utter it the way it's written in the text doesn't mean I actually believe it dogmatically how Christianity has shown it. I think God had a greater purpose to allow the 66 books of the canonized Bible to come forth um, in order to reveal God, not to reveal man's duty to God. So I'll explain that maybe in another podcast, maybe in this podcast. We'll see where we go. But it says in Genesis chapter 3, 1, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the garden which the Lord God had made. So God made the serpent and God made all the beasts of the field. So the serpent who God made could speak. This is very important. This is not like some... Uh, an illusion or some dream. God made creatures to speak. And the serpent said unto the woman, yea, as God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden which the Lord God had made. And so basically saying, are you sure God said what he said, that you should not eat of every tree of the garden which the Lord God had made? And the woman said, we shall not eat of it, neither shall we touch it, lest we die. And the woman seeing that it was good for food and pleasant to the eye. Actually, it's interesting. Um, I'm going to read this because I think I missed the word. It says, um, and the, okay. Uh, and the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. 
And she ate of the fruit and gave it to her husband, and he did eat. So the very first question that the serpent asks Eve and Adam, this is very important. Forget the story of eating the fruit. And the very first question the serpent's purpose was to ask Eve is, do you know what God said? Yea, as God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden which the Lord God had made. And when I say it like that, you're probably like, wait, what are these words? This seems jumbled, but that's the point. It, it's, it's cloudy and you must know what is clear. Are you sure God said what he said? Or do you know what was said? The serpent's purpose is to ask the question, do you know what the word actually says? And Rome subverts the words always. And you, we, we're living in a time where we actually don't know the words anymore. What's fascinating is that God says in Genesis chapter two, you shall not eat of the tree lest you die. The woman responds to the serpent and says, God said, we shall not touch, um, eat it, neither shall we touch it lest we die. So she added to what was commanded, which was not true. And it was that lie. It was the adding into the word of God or God's words or that directive or the knowing of what to stand firm on when she added because she wasn't sure it allowed the quote unquote fall, but there are no accidents and everything is ordained perfectly in its time. So Adam and Eve's quote unquote sin was just happened that they showed that when we don't stand firm in the word, we fall. So, where do we go from here? Here's a fact that's interesting. The King James Bible came out in 1611. Seven years it was being translated. In four different camps of translators, the most brilliant translator and linguistic minds in the world, publicly known. And that's why there were two assassination attempts on King James himself. And he was the first Protestant king of England. And he was the first king of the United Kingdom. He united the United Kingdom. He was a king of peace, not of war. And he died at a very young age. He was sickly. And a lot of subversive narrative has come out against him. But he came out with this Bible. He was a Protestant, meaning he protested Rome. He was anti-Romanism. But even in Great Britain, there was so much Roman Catholicism and so much subversive tactics by these Jesuit plotters that he had a very difficult time. But he came out with the Bible and it was never called the King James Bible. It was called the authorized version. Now, the, to the Christians listening right now, if you're getting triggered, go look it up yourself. Go look it up yourself. But for everyone else, I appreciate you listening. This is the historical fact. He wanted the Bible to no longer, if at any church, the Bible was such a, a precious commodity. First of all, the very first written word ever to be printed on a press, the Gutenberg press in Germany was the Bible. And the very first song or yeah, broadcast ever around the world via satellite and a live broadcast around the world was the Beatles song, um, All You Need Is Love. There's no accident when this global message comes out of man's new technology to communicate, it's always the message of love. 
Now, the Bible is not Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 22, a, a, a book of loving, loving narrative. There's a lot of horrible things in it. But again, this is not to show man's role with God. This is to reveal who God is and who God is not. And so keep that in mind. So King James comes out, declares that we're going to have the authorized version because Bibles were chained to the pulpits. And in Rome, they only did the mass and only had their services in Latin. So no one could even understand what the words were. They spoke in the secret language, a dead language, a language that was created and did not exist in the time. So no one even understood what the words were. And it just became pomp and circumstance and ceremony and tradition and regulation and political subversion. All these things come from this. No one knew what was being said. So you have Luther's Reformation, which is so powerful, and it leads to 1605 when King James declares that he's going to come out with the Bible. Well, if you've seen the movie V for Vendetta, I love the movie V for Vendetta. It's the same people that made V for Vendetta made the movie The Matrix. Guy Fox is represented in V for Vendetta as the hero or the one that wants to overthrow totalitarian tyranny of governmental control and the big brother. Now the movie's fantastic and appropriate. However, they don't understand who Guy Fox was actually in true historical context. Guy Fox was a Jesuit and he led the gunpowder plot of 1607, November 5th. Uh, yeah. Remember, remember the 5th of November, November 5th, 1607, he tried to blow up parliament. And this was the second assassination attempt on King James. Why? Because King James of Scotland, of the United Kingdom, was going to give the Bible in the vernacular of 11-year-olds, it was written in a fifth grade reading level, to the entire world. And th when this happens, the entire world elevates. Now, yes, there were amazing things taking place in Buddhism and um, there were great, great things happening. This is not to one, um, this is not to attack or say that Christianity, it, it, this is just an explanation of this text. I just want to be clear because there are incredible things taking place around the world outside of the West. However, we are in this time where everything is culminating back into the United States as the keystone that liberates the world. And Rome is falling. So the Bible comes out in 1611, and it wasn't called the King James Bible. It was not called the King James Bible ever until King James died. And it always had its subversive plot by the Jesuits to overthrow this Bible because once you could read the words for yourself and be like, what the <laughs> blank? Then you are no longer subjugated to another telling you what God says because man was never intended to listen to another person of what God says for them. Man was created from the very beginning to walk 
in love and in light, to be in communication directly with the one infinite creator and not subvert or subjugate our own sovereignty to listen to some other priest, father, pastor, minister, imam, rabbi, as the declared word of God to another. You and I were always supposed to walk in that love and light, to always be in communion, always that we don't pray. We are prayers. We are essentially a walking, living prayer, an embodiment of communion with the most high God, an embodiment of walking in love and light, truth, goodness, freedom, mercy, love, joy, peace, long suffering, goodness, gentle faith, temperance, meekness against such. There is nothing to indict. So it was called the authorized version, the Bible, when it came out in 1611. And it was the seventh Bible written in the English language. The six before it, um, I don't remember all of them off the top of my head, but um, Wycliffe, Tyndale, Geneva, Bishops, the Great Bible, that's five. Um. Not re- I don't remember what the sixth Bible is, but there were six Bibles in the English language written before the King James Bible in 1611, the authorized version. And all the previous six were good. They all doctrinally said the exact same thing. So where it said Christ, it said Christ in the King James Bible and all the preceding six. The reason why King James finally wrote this because there were some discrepancies in some of the language So words were missing or it wasn't clear. So he took the best minds, took all the texts that were available and, and created this. And the world standard of living rose. I mean, you, King James uh, signed the Magna Carta. Um, All these great things take place. We have the, the Renaissance and the Reformation, the Age of Enlightenment taking place. We have the American Revolution taking place uh, 150 years later, and they were all using the same text. So when you would go to any church service, they were reading the exact same text. Rome came out with the English version of the Bible to subjugate or subvert the King James Bible um, at the time. I think it was called the New World or I don't know, I don't remember what it's called, Good News Translation or something like that, but unsuccessful, King James Bible goes throughout the world. Now, all other languages were translating or getting their translated language from the King James Bible. So you have 1611 to 1711, a lot's taking place. 1711 1811, the United States has already um, declared independence and, and George Washington stepped down, Thomas Jefferson, 1811. Um, John Adams is president, I think. Um, and, or maybe Thomas Jefferson. Anyway, we, you know, we're, we're well beyond 1811. Things are happening. And in Great Britain, the, Brit- the, the slave trade had been abolished. And you have, so 1811, we have 1611, so we have 1711, 1811, it's 200 years. All the way to 1881, here comes a new English version. And it was done in secret, and it was called the Revised Version, led by two men, Westcott and Hort. I don't remember their, their, uh, 
their first names, but Westcott and Hort, you can look this up. Now these men, um, one owned a necromancy shop at the end of his life and, and um, died an atheist and the other um, became, joined the Roman church. So both men, they were always in question of were they Jesuit plotters or what was their intention? Because what the revised version did was take away doctrinal words where it said Christ, it said him or, or things like that. So they start taking away these doctrinal words. And from 1881 to today, those 400 plus Bible versions in the English language all align to the revised version. And if you go to any Christian church, you talk about King James, I'm a King James Bible. They're like, oh, that's old or weird or, or usually people attack it. And it's no different attacking the original text as people attack the constitution, as people attack these old text because it's too hard to read or it's too difficult as opposed to, well, I don't see people that run marathons being like, Oh, it's too difficult. They work and work hard to achieve that, which they want. So if you really want to know the text, you study the text, you learn the text, you get the sources and you get all this and you look and you study and you, you ask God for understanding. I'll never forget after I attempted suicide when I was 20, it's like, I switched. I went to the University of Washington. I'm living at this house with this guy and I paid my way through college, had no, absolutely no money, so broke. And I, so I worked my way through college and I couldn't afford the books for college class. So I had to take really good notes or rely on um, friends in, in these big lecture halls to take notes for me or share notes. And we would all agree to this. But the notes weren't enough for these exams. And so I remember praying, getting on my knees in my bedroom and asking God for an ability or asking God for help. And he, and I felt like God say, ask for an ability to retain information. And I'm like, Whoa, an ability to retain information. I'm like, okay. So I started praying, God, please give me an ability to retain information, an ability to retain information. I'm not kidding you. Like, boom, like that. You can ask for whatever you want. You can ask whatever you, if you like the word source, universe, I used to not like that. Now I'm like, you know, it doesn't even matter because even my use of the word God is not God. God is greater than even my concept of God. <laughs> There's no way a mind can even fathom God. And those who say they do or can should not be listened to. They're, it's, I love uh, Reverend Tracy Clark says the God of your understanding. And that's the truth because the God of your understanding is unique to you and unique to me and unique to all of us. So say what you want but you can ask for it and you'll receive it. So why I bring up these Bible versions and what all this stuff means. And I hope this is helpful to you. I hope this gives context to where we are and how we got to where we are. Um, in the new international version. Now remember it's international. It's all this globalist. It's deep state. These are deep state text, whether you like it or not, they are, they're deep state text. There are 65,000 words less in the NIV Bible than there is the KJV Bible, the New International Version versus the King James Version. Now, look it up. And many Bible versions today are missing tens and tens of thousands of words from the original Bible that was spread around the world. Why this matters is it's not just the ye's, these, and thou's, thine's, and the ETHs that got taken off 
and made more modern. Remember, 1881 is the beginning of the progressive era, which leads to Woodrow Wilson, the League of Nations, leads to all this stuff. The 1880s was the beginning of the progressive New World Order, one world government. This is the end of the age. This is it. It's the Laodicean church that says, I am rich and I have need of nothing. I am wonderful. And God says, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'll spit you, spit you out of my mouth. So, 65,000 words are missing from the NIV version, from the King James Version. Massive verses are just missing. And I want you, if you have a Bible at home, this is an interesting test to do. In the King James Version, they have, let's see if you can see that. If you can see it, well, if you're watching, I don't know if you can see it. But it has number and verse, number and verse, number and verse. And you can see it, you can track like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You can track it. But what the new versions did, very trickily, very sneakily, is that a word? Sneaky? Sneakingly? <laughs> um, they made it in paragraph form. So the, the verses are within the paragraph. And what they do then is they'll take a verse out and you'll just read through because you don't know that the verse is missing because you're not tracking one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. A great example is Acts 8.37. So if you have a Bible at home, I want you to go look at the verse Acts 8.37. Now, why would this verse be taken out in all the Bible versions, except the King James Bible? I'm just going to read this for a second. Um, let's see. <laughs> uh, where do I want to start? Okay, so I'll just read this. Um, Acts 8, I'll start at uh, 26. And the angel of the Lord spake uh, unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Acts 8, 27. And he, and he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. Verse 28 was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah, the prophet, Isaiah. The prophet, prophet Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. Then the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this, to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, understandest thou what thou readest? Do you understand what you read? And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? So this is how the world had been conditioned in the Roman era, the Babylonian era, going back to ancient, going back very anciently, okay, is that the priest had the only authority to tell another human being what the actual word of God said. So here this great powerful eunuch from Ethiopia who had the charge of all the treasure of the queen of Ethiopia says to this random person, I don't even understand what I'm reading. How can I understand it unless someone tells me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture, which he read was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer. So opened he not his mouth. Verse 33. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away 
who shall declare his, his generation for his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speakest thou the prophet this of himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him, Jesus, Yeshua in love to be in love, the love of God. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What does hinder me to be baptized? Now, here's the kicker, my friends. Verse 37 says, and Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ or Yeshua HaMashiach is the son of God. Verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing, but Philip was found. Okay. So it went on his way rejoicing. The eunuch asked Philip in, in verse 36, what does hinder me to be baptized? And verse 37 says, if you believe us with all thine heart, that uh, Jesus Christ is the son of God. And the, and the eunuch says, yes, I do. And then verse 38 says, and he went immediately and baptized him. But if you take out verse 37 and you just go from what does hinder me to be baptized and go to 38 and immediately he was baptized. What religious doctrine does this back up? Child baptism, child dedication, child before conscious choosing baptism not sovereign oh you know this whole and i don't believe in heaven and hell but in the roman narrative heaven hell do this you believe this be a good roman you go to heaven or you go to hell you, you you're cast out however you not choosing into heaven but just saying well you were baptized as a baby so you're going to heaven but if you don't do these things you will go to hell is the most despicable narrative to ever encroach upon human sovereignty people say well you know you can ask well are you going to heaven well i was baptized i was confirmed and and i should be going to heaven as opposed to i look at i looked at all these things i read all these things i took all the books and all the texts i studied with all who i wanted to study with i did the research and i have come to this conclusion that i will make this choice that sovereignty that is stepping in love and light. But if you take away 37, which most Bible versions do, and you should check your Bible, that's just one of a gazillion verses that changes the doctrine that affirms. Then if you take away 37, it affirms child baptism. It, it affirms Rome. So who took out the verse Rome? What is falling right now? Rome, people are waking up to their sovereignty. The, the 3d existence of polarity and judgment and, and this or that, is going away and we're waking from the fog of these words that were stolen from us and reclaiming our narrative. So you don't have to read a Bible. You don't even have to be, but these words matter is what I'm, the whole point of today is these words matter. And I could go on and on and on. This book by Charles Chenequi 
It's an old, old, old book, 50 Years in the Church of Rome. This, this book, if anyone uh, is looking for, it's a huge, it's long, it's a beast, but it is uh, phenomenal. 50 Years in the Church of Rome. This was a uh, French Catholic priest who started reading the Bible for himself when he was in the Ohio Territory, and he had an encounter with God and there was a revival that broke out in this Catholic church and the Jesuits from Chicago um, told him to knock it off, to continue with the mass in Latin. And, and he said, I can't, you know, how can I, he thought he was doing a good thing. He thought he was actually doing a good job. Hey, what do you mean? I, I found God, God, you know, love is like love is breaking forth and people are coming and having their lives changed. And they, they said, stop. And they trumped up charges, according to Charles Chinnickley, they trumped up false charges on him in a court in Chicago. So he came to Illinois and a young attorney defended him and, and won for him on his behalf in court. And that young attorney was Abraham Lincoln. And Charles Chinnickley became Abraham Lincoln's spiritual advisor for all of Lincoln's presidency and told him that Rome will never forget what you did. And the very first world leader to recognize the Confederate South and, and, Charles, and uh, Jefferson Davis as the president of the Confederate South was Pope Pius. The Vatican recognized the Confederacy, the subversive rebels against the Union. Sounds very similar to what's taking place today, don't you think? Yes, the media is bigger and is confusing people on who's right, who's wrong, and what's good and what's bad. And, and are you sure God said that? Are you sure that those are the words? And, and what do you know? And what words? And people are like, I actually don't know. I haven't read. I, you know, I keep watching news and they tell me one narrative. But the news stations, all media around the world are only owned by six corporations. So there's six narratives. And those six people actually work together, part of the deep state, all to share one narrative to you. And everyone's like, oh, you know, that's what it says. And we're waking up and we've forgotten what sovereignty looks like. We've forgotten what love and light and walking in that looks like. And it's time to remember love and light where there are no divisions, where there are no divides where everything was perfectly enacted as it should have been to make us remember and to awaken to who we are today. Now, with all the Bible versions, just think of all the different denominational doctrines, all the different Jesuit popped up um, cult-like Christian offshoots. I don't have to name any. You actually know them if you just get clear and listen. You know what they are. Where Rome tells the populace to be like sheep and being a sheep is a virtue while the wolves come and just destroy the sheep. And then it's like, well, I need the great shepherd as opposed to realizing if you watch any movie, go watch Machine Gun Preacher with um, the guy who was the King, King Leonidas in 300... Um, Y'all think of his name, you, um, Gerard Butler. Go watch the movie Machine Gun Preacher. Now that is what we're called to do. And he said, we're not to be called to be sheep. We're called to be wolves. A wolf fights a wolf. 
And the special forces, all my friends, Larry and, and others, they call themselves sheepdogs because they're not, they don't want to be wolves. The wolves want to hurt the sheep. The sheepdog protects the sheep. Great. That's a nice clarification. But either way, we're not called to be sheep. We're called to be awake, aware, sovereign, powerful beings that no longer subjugate our sovereignty to another, be it an esoteric or physical form. We don't, we don't utter, oh, fix me, save me. No, we go in, we utter out of our mouth to God, go to the source, but we don't need anyone else. It's you and God. So I think this is, uh, this is the message today that's come through. And I love all of you. This is, you can completely disagree and it's okay. It's okay. We're all on our own journey. We're all waking up. But I want you to know, I love God. I love you. And whatever your sovereignty looks like in love and light, I want it to be, I want it to come to fruition. I want it to be fulfilled for you, for your highest good. Walk in love and light. That's what we're made for and of and in. And the religious world is the deep state world. That's why the God um, Shiva and my sweet, beautiful Orthodox brothers study at a yeshiva and the Brahmins of Hinduism are the Abraham priests. Uh, it, it, I, we could tie in all the religions that the largest Catholic churches, some of the largest, I know the second largest Catholic church in San Diego is called Our Lady Fatima. Fatima was Muhammad's daughter. How was, how are Catholic churches named after Islam's royal line? We can go on and on and on about how all these things work. But these are things that I want you to start looking and questioning, not just looking and accepting. Question, 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 question. That's what it's all about. This is the age of questioning. Because until we ask the question, we cannot get the answer. Media and Rome wants to just tell you what the answer is, even if you didn't ask. And as long as you keep your mouth and ears open to receive all that low vibrational, dense energy that is that is based on confusion, you cannot step away, detach and ask the right questions to get the right answers. So this is the time for your awakening. I pray that this blesses you. I pray that you are in love and light and whoever this was for, I would love to hear from you. I feel like this message was for someone. Uh, reach out to me either on my website or on Instagram. Instagram is really the best way to get a hold of me. And, um, I bless you all. Thank you. I am Lucas Mack. This is the Golden Rule Revolution. And I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thank you, brothers and sisters, for listening. For support in your journey, go to my website, lucasmack.com. <laughs>